How many of you here were brought up in church as kids and went to Sunday school? Put your hands up if you ever went to Sunday school. Okay, that actually looks like a good number of people. So when we're in Sunday school, we get bite-sized bits of the Bible in kid language with kind of simple, easy-to-understand ways of experiencing the Bible. Now, the problem with that is that sometimes you can have an oversimplified version of Jesus' life and you miss out on the shock value. Because so much of what Jesus did and said, the way that he interacted with people, was deeply shocking. We're just used to it. If you've been around in church, it's possible to get kind of accustomed and acclimatized to the whole kind of life of Jesus. But those experiencing it in real time were often just thrown off guard. They were just blindsided by the things that Jesus did. And if you're not sure about faith or if you're new to faith, then the whole kind of Christian thing and what Jesus does, it can seem alien. It's 2,000 years ago. It's thousands of miles away. It's a whole different culture. And so what I want to do tonight is just unpack one of those stories. Now, if you were in Sunday school, you may have heard the story before. Um, And we're going to talk about someone who is one of my all-time favorite characters in the Bible of all time. And his name is Zacchaeus. Put your hands up if you've heard the story of Zacchaeus. Okay. Now, put your hands up if you were in Sunday school and you heard the song or you sang the song. Anyone remember the song? Alan's hand went straight up and then went <laughs> scratching the back of his head when he realized it's a trap. Alan, you remember the song? Can you sing the song for us? <laughs> I re- really like, would we like Alan to sing the song for us? Go on. Well, I think Alan might do the, the wee, wee free Scottish version. Aye. That's fantastic. Round of applause for Alan. Put your hands up. You remember a song like that or a version like that or the English version? Not a wee little man, but a very little man, as we said in England. Okay, quite a few of us. I was brought up on this. And the idea is that the defining characteristic of Zacchaeus is that he's a wee little man. He's a very small man. He's a short guy. And the most interesting thing about him is his height. And yet when you get into the story and you see what is happening with this guy, it is shocking. It's deeply shocking what happens. And the kind of character that Zacchaeus is isn't really very kid-friendly. And so we're going to look at this story because if we want to find out what do we do as church, why do we do this as church, We have to go back to Jesus. Anything that is church that doesn't look like Jesus, that doesn't line up with the priorities of Jesus, the practice of Jesus, is something that you don't really want to be involved in because it doesn't have any future and it doesn't make any impact, no change in the world. And so we go back to Jesus and find out what Jesus is fixated on, what Jesus came to do. And the story of Zacchaeus is the one time when Jesus in all of his interactions with people said, this is exactly what I'm about. This is why I am here. This is my reason for being. And anyone who follows me needs to get with this program. So we read the passage. It's recorded by Luke. Luke chapter 19, it says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
So Jericho is this valley just outside of Jerusalem, a few miles outside of Jerusalem, a beautiful town in one of the lowest parts of the world before you go up the hill to Jerusalem. And it was famous for being the place where the rich and the privileged lived. It was one of the most affluent, fertile places in the whole country. And only the super wealthy and the super powerful could afford to live in Jericho. It was this kind of incredible Beverly Hills type place. And the Bible says that Jesus was passing through. So whatever happens in Jericho wasn't supposed to happen, wasn't on the agenda, wasn't part of Jesus's plans. He was literally passing through Jericho. The only thing he wanted to do through Jericho was go through it on his way to Jerusalem. Why was he going on his way to Jerusalem? He's going on his way to Jerusalem because it's the triumphal entry. It's Palm Sunday. It's the time when all the people welcome Jesus and there's crowds around Jesus. Possibly the biggest, largest crowds that Jesus has ever attracted. The most high profile day of his ministry on earth to date. When he enters into Jerusalem, he's welcomed like a conquering hero. And people register, Hosanna to the son of David. And that is what Jesus is going to. He's been working towards this for weeks and months, for years And he's finally about to enter into Jerusalem where he'll give his life and it's all going to kick off. So he's passing through Jericho. And then it switches from Jesus' point of view to this next guy, Zacchaeus. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Everyone say chief tax collector. And was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, so yeah, very wee man, He could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So yeah, he was a short guy. It's put in because that explains why he climbs a tree, because he wants to get a view of Jesus. But the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Not only was he a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. It's the only time in scripture that that designation of a person is used. We have other tax collectors. We know other people that collect taxes, but Zacchaeus is the only person who's a chief tax collector. What does that mean? Well, Rome, the Roman Empire, and I've just been in Rome with Kate to celebrate 29 years of marriage. She's already talked about that. I think it's still around with a round of applause. 29 years of marriage. Got married when I was five years old. Don't make a big deal about it. But um, the Roman Empire, they added insult to injury because when they occupied a territory, when they came and conquered you, they then made you pay for the army. Armies are vastly expensive. And so what they would do is they would conquer a people, occupy their territory, terrorize their lives, and then give them the bill. You have to pay taxes in order to fund this great Roman army that's brought the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, to you. And then they were so smart that they got the actual oppressed people to do the collecting of the taxes for them so that it didn't cost them anything. And this is the deal. You can become a tax collector. You can collect taxes. This is how much we need. But you can collect as much as you like. It's completely up to you. As long as we get the right amount, you do what you like. Why? Because you're going to become a social pariah. You will be ostracized. You will be cut off. You will be despised. You will be so 
utterly hated by your own people because you've turned your back on them, you've betrayed them, you're collaborating with the oppressors. Now, that's what a tax collector was. What's a chief tax collector? Well, a chief tax collector is a person that's basically got the franchise for all the tax collection in a vicinity, in a region. And they have different tax collectors working underneath them. Essentially, if you're a chief tax collector, it's the equivalent of being a mob boss with an army of enforcers and hard men, strong men that will gather the taxes on behalf of the Romans. You don't get to be a chief tax collector without being an absolutely ruthless individual. It means that you have terrorized people, you have threatened people, you have injured people, you've put people into destitution. Sometimes chief tax collectors, you'd have someone killed because it's a cutthroat business. And that's who Zacchaeus is. He's fabulously wealthy because he's got the tax collection rights for Jericho, the most wealthy part of the whole nation. And so this is one heck of a fat cat. This is a guy who is a corrupt, underworld, criminal boss. And yet he wants to see Jesus. I don't know about the people that you know. I don't know if you've got friends at work, if you've got colleagues, you've got flatmates, and when you talk about faith, they just seem a million miles away from it. And it may be that people present as you'd think never in a million years would they be interested in faith. Never would they be interested in Jesus. But Zacchaeus tells us that no matter how far you go, no matter how corrupt you have become, no matter how corroded your soul, there's still something about Jesus that captivates people. And maybe you're here despite some of your reservations about church or faith because you're still to a degree captivated by Jesus. There's something about Jesus. Jesus offers us hope. Jesus comes as the light of the world in our darkness, in our confusion, in our doubt, in our just distress about what life is all about. Jesus comes to offer us hope and life and light and a relationship with God. And the person that seems the furthest away can often surprise us because they'll end up climbing a tree because they want to see Jesus. So it starts off with Jesus passing through Jericho, and then it switches to Zacchaeus, who is this unexpected bystander who's desperate to see something about Jesus because Jesus captivates him. And then it flips back to Jesus. It says this, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, I don't know how Jesus knew his name. But there's something significant about the fact that Jesus not only knows his name, but calls his name and speaks to him. He says, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, this is something that if you look at it at first glance, it can seem like a really nice thing. That Jesus is taking time out with an unfortunate soul who's lost his way in life. And he's saying, look, let's have something to do with one another. But for the people that watch this, the people that are in the crowd, this is absolutely, unbelievably offensive. It says this, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. In the culture of the time, the Jewish people, what you do when you go into someone's house, what you do when you break bread with them, when you sit down and you commune with them, 
What you're doing is you're saying, in effect, this. I endorse you. I vouch for you. I approve of you. I am with you. I am for you. You please me. And you are someone that I want to have a relationship with. And for Jewish people who are oppressed by the Romans, who are so brutal, who are so malicious, and to have this corrupt individual who sold his soul for a bag of coin, and all the things that he has done, all the women who find themselves in forced prostitution because the way that he has treated them, all the people that have been just let down and betrayed and broken their lives, broken apart because of this man. And Jesus says, I endorse him. It's all good. He's with me. I am fully happy with this man. We can break bread together. It's deeply, deeply shocking. So here's the first shock. Shock number one. And the shock that you have is that Jesus prioritizes Zacchaeus. Now, even for us, with 2,000 years of history between us and this incident, it does seem a little bit odd that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is the biggest day of his life, the triumphal entry, and yet he derails the whole thing for this one guy. Literally brings the procession to a screeching halt. It would be like King Charles on the day of his coronation in his gilded carriage going down the mall, suddenly stopping, calling to the driver, getting out of the carriage, going to a person in the crowd and say, hey, you run a um, lap dancing club. I need to come to your club and let's have a beer. It, it just, it beggars comprehension. It is so incongruous. And yet what Jesus does is he says, Zacchaeus, I must stay with you. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus' priority is for those who are furthest away from God. It says that when I am get to, gathered around and surrounded by hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of devout pilgrims, people who are already beginning to sing the Psalms of Ascent, worship songs to welcome in the Messiah, even at this time, my heart, my priority, my prerogative, my must Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. You're my priority. You're the one that I want to focus in on. Jesus prioritizes the lost. And it's shocking. The very person that doesn't deserve it, the very person that should be on the outside, the one that should be spurned, the one that should be condemned, Jesus says, you're my priority. I don't know if any of you feel like you're far from God. Or if any of you feel like, actually, if people knew what I'm really like, they would reject me. I'd be judged harshly. You just need to know that Jesus looks at you and he sees you and he says, you're my priority. You're the one that I want to be with. You're the one who's more important to me than anything else on this day. You're the number one item on my agenda. But while Jesus is there in Zacchaeus' house, Causing such an uproar, causing such a shock, the story continues. And now we're back to Zacchaeus again. It says, but Zacchaeus said, stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And here's shock number two. Shock number two is that Jesus changes Zacchaeus. Salvation happens. And what's weird is that we don't have the kind of, very often in church, when we talk about salvation and people coming to faith and people becoming Christians, people being saved, it'll be a message that's preached and then you pray a prayer. Maybe you get down on your knees and you commit your life to Jesus. Actually, none of that happens with Zacchaeus. It's shocking. But suddenly he just turns around and he says, all my money, all my wealth, all that I have trampled on so many people for, I just give it up. I'll give away half of my possessions and then everyone that I've ripped off, I'll pay back four times the amount. So if you got ripped off by Zacchaeus, you suddenly became really, really well off because he paid you not only back, but four times the amount, literally emptying all his coffers. Why? Because the presence of Jesus changes people. Sometimes we think that salvation is all about doing a transaction with God. Dear God, I'm sorry, I give you my life and I'll follow all your laws and do all these things. Actually, real salvation is something that happens on the inside. It means you have an encounter with Jesus so profound, so dynamic that you can't help but change. Remember in um, Alpha just a few years ago, we were doing it again in our house and uh, there was this one time we were debating and everyone was discussing. Because in Alpha, everyone gets their own opinion and everyone can say what they want and they can put their own views forward. That's what it's all about. And so they were debating. One person was saying, I don't believe in the Bible because it's just ancient stuff and it's not relevant to modern life. And then another guy, he'd just been coming to the Alpha course for about four weeks. He says, I don't know about any of that. All I know is that the Bible has changed my life. The person said, well, what do you mean by that? He says, well, things that I used to do that I didn't like about myself, I've just stopped doing them. I stopped smoking. I stopped swearing. I've stopped being angry with people. And things that I never used to do, I start to find myself doing them. I'm loving people. I'm praying. I'm wanting to hang around with God's people. And I don't know all the ins and outs, and I don't understand whether it's accurate or or what happened in the book of Genesis all I just know is that I'm being changed and I like it we were doing an alpha course just last term and one of the women in the alpha course she had literally come to faith just about three weeks ago and we were in this discussion and uh, the whole subject was about forgiveness she hadn't even started alpha she was way outside of faith at that time, had no contact with Christians. But then Jesus stepped into her life. She had this transformation. And she just said to us, listen, I know that it sounds crazy, but I know that it's real. And I heard God speak and I'm here to find out more. I'm doing Alpha because I want to find out what's happened to me. And so we were talking about forgiveness. And she just said this incredible story. And she told us about this incident that had happened in her family and someone who had just wronged her and her family in such a deeply profound way. If I told you about it, you'd be shocked. But she said, I've had hatred towards this man for so many years. I've been plotting and planning. How can I bring him down? How can I get our revenge? How can I get back what was taken from us? And she just said, I've forgiven. I just found that forgiveness has come out of my heart. When Jesus comes into a person's life, You change. You can't help it. 
And again, if you're not sure about faith or if you're thinking about faith or coming back, we're not just saying, hey, come to church, read stuff, do some things, follow some rules. No, we're saying encounter Jesus. And when we gather here on an evening, we're wanting to worship Jesus. We're wanting to lift Jesus up. We're wanting to create a place where Jesus' presence can be felt. I really loved the worship, Susanna, and the band. I really loved what we had because it's not just going through a set list and singing some songs. It's actually saying, we as individuals want to go closer to Jesus. And we want to create a space where Jesus can come in. That's why we meet together. That's why we gather, whether you're in the band or whether you're singing in your seat, whether you're just coming and being part of this community. What we're doing is we're creating a space where Jesus can come in. And when Jesus comes in, lives are changed. Salvation happens. Over the last term, we just saw so many stories of people coming close to Jesus who'd been far away from Jesus, and suddenly their lives changed. And this is what happens with Zacchaeus, and it's shocking. It's shocking because you feel like, well, that's not right. That's, you can't just buy your way out of all those things that you've done. And yet somehow God has so changed his heart that this miracle starts to happen. And then Jesus says, to him. Now, Jesus has already talked about salvation. He's talked about salvation coming, but he then fills it out. So going back a little bit and then seeing what is added. It's Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then here's the thing that he adds. And for me, this is it's a shocking thing, but this is a thing where Jesus really lays out, this is what I'm about. For The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's just say that sentence, that sentence together again. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Sometimes you think that God's out there and Jesus has died on the cross and he's risen again. And then he's just like, well, it's up to you. I'm here if you want to find me. If you want to come looking, if you've got a desire for meaning, if you want to connect with God, try and find me. Come and look for me. But the surprising thing is that Jesus says, hey, you can do all of that and that's great. But you need to know I am coming to seek you. And so this is shock number three. Shock number three is that Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. Story opens with Zacchaeus wanting to find Jesus. The story ends with Jesus saying, I so wanted to find you. We talk about being a seeker-friendly church here in Metro. We want to be friendly for the seeker. We want to be a church that is totally put together and totally oriented around the seeker. But when we say seeker, it's not the seeker that you think. We are talking about Jesus the seeker. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the seeker. We're talking about God, the Father, the seeker. Because God is seeking those who are lost. Jesus told stories about a lost sheep and a shepherd who left the 99 and went out to find this one lost sheep because that is his heart. His heart is for you if you feel far away from him. His heart is for you if you feel like you haven't connected with him in a while. 
His heart is for you. If you feel like you're confused or you're in darkness or you've just lost your way or you're not quite sure what your future is supposed to be. He wants to go seeking after Zacchaeus. The best thing about Zacchaeus is who he is. And again, we don't get this by just a casual reading. It's so hard because we don't understand the culture. We don't understand all the ins and outs, all the kind of the little in-jokes and the figures of speech. But in Jewish culture, your name was so important. It said something about you. In fact, your mother and your father would give you a name that was something that says something about what you are. So the name Jesus is a variant of the name Joshua, and it means Jehovah saves. God saves. Jesus was given his name Jesus because he's going to save people. He's going to save you from your sin, save you from your brokenness. And Zacchaeus, his name was powerful. There's plenty of people that are rich and powerful who Jesus meets, and we don't know their names. Rich young ruler, we don't know his name. Lepers, we don't know their names. Father that had a boy who was uh, demonized, don't know his name. Not important. Zacchaeus, we know his name. In fact, the Bible leads with that. There was a man, his name was Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus means something. Because the name of Zacchaeus tells you everything you need to know about who Zacchaeus was supposed to be, what his destiny was, what the dreams of his family were for him. And this is perhaps the most shocking thing in the whole story. Because the name Zacchaeus means pure. His name means the pure one. The pure in heart. It means the innocent one. When you see what his name means, what his destiny was supposed to be, and then you look and figure out how far his life had deviated from that path, you see just exactly why Jesus came looking for him. Because Jesus says, you were created not to be corrupt, not to be broken, not to be an abuser and oppressor of people, not to be a social outcast, a pariah. You were created to be a pure man. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's your birthright. That's your destiny. Some of you watching online here in the room, you feel like there's something missing in your life. You feel like there's more to you than you're experiencing. You feel like there's a connection with God that should be so much closer, but it's not there. You feel like you want to be more, but you are aware of where you fall down. And Jesus says, I see your heart and I know who you are. I know your name. And I've come to seek after you. And the people that we love, the people around us, flatmates, housemates, colleagues, workmates, line managers, direct reports, God sees them and he sees exactly who they're supposed to be. Not cynic, not skeptic, but righteous. Not broken, not harassed, not full of bitterness, but pure and innocent, full of grace, full of life. And he comes to seek after them. So we're a seeker-friendly church. What does that mean? It means we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit 
in reaching out after people. It means that although, yeah, Jesus is on this incredible pilgrimage towards Jerusalem, he stops everything he's doing for the lost, for those that are on the outside, for those that are furthest away from him. And that's what we want to do. And as we go through 2024, we are committing ourselves to being that kind of a church. What does it mean? Well, first of all, it means we want to have the presence of Jesus where we are. I talked about this earlier. We want to create a worship space, whether that's one instrument, one voice, or a whole band, a whole choir. But we want to create space here. That's why we say to people, come, come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Sometimes Christians just dip into church for when they need a bit of a top up or when it suits their schedule. But actually, we want to be the kind of people that follow Jesus in seeking out the lost. And so we continually, consistently, constantly come together in order to create space where the presence of God may be experienced. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. So we want the presence of Jesus. We want to continue gathering together morning and evening, Sunday by Sunday, in our small groups, in our hubs, in twos and threes. Not only that, but we want to pray. So prayer needs to be part of what we're doing. And um, many of you guys, you meet the 7.30 Thursday morning prayer gatherings in the cafes. And we want to continue with that. It's a great thing that is happening there. It's something that's happening spontaneous. But when we pray, we're praying and we're reaching out, cooperating with the seeker who's seeking after souls. We have a whole prayer week that's happening um, on January the 14th to the 21st. And that's going to happen across all the Woodlands Church family. Together we're going to be praying. As part of that, we're going to be fasting. If you remember last term, we talked about fasting Thursdays. Uh, this term, we're not um, kind of imposing that or calling the church to fast every Thursday. It's very much something that you can do if you want to do. But it's not something that we're just going to crack the whip at. So in many ways, we're saying, look, you can continue if you want, but uh, there'll be certain times in our life as a church where we call the whole church to fasting and other times when we say, actually, uh, it's up to you. Do what you feel uh, called to. Many people, they've got into that kind of rhythm and routine, that spiritual rhythm of fasting, and that's a great thing. But it's not something that we are saying you have to do this or that we're especially calling the church to do. But there will be a day of fasting I think, um, I don't know when it is, some people fast the whole prayer week. Tuesday, yeah. So you can fast on the Tuesday. But we'll tell you about that and we'll put out information. And then thirdly, love running. Put your hand up if you've heard of love running. Okay, surprising. Good number of people there. Love running is something that we have done in the past. And then it went down deep underground. It didn't happen. So there's a whole generation who've grown up in Metro not knowing what love running is. But we started love running in 2009 where we decided, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could enter a mass entry of runners into the Bristol 10K road race? And if the emphasis was not on love running, like I really love running, but it was on the love the love here is not a verb, I love running, weirdo. The emphasis is on love as a noun. We want to see love running. Love running to the oppressed. Love running to the needy. So we raise money as we run together through the streets of Bristol with our red t-shirts and the heart symbol on them. And uh, today we've raised in love running, but we've done it six times in Bristol, we've raised uh, 0.8 
of a million pounds. And we've sent it all over the world. And some of us have, have followed the money. We've been in refugee camps in Jordan with Syrian refugees. We've been in community action projects in Zimbabwe. Uh, we, we've been over and, and seen what has happened as the money has changed people. And we are involved with our city for homeless projects and vulnerable women caught in the sex trade and food security. And we're going to be doing that again. The race is in May. We're going to start launching it over the next few weeks. We'll tell you more about it. But this is particularly for you if you don't like running, but you do like love. Uh, and you want to demonstrate something. You want to literally put your body on the line. Why? Because Jesus is seeking people. And one of the things that we do, you know, my, one of my best friends came to faith through love running. Invited them to Alpha. Didn't want to do it. No, Philip, not interested. No, Philip, not for me. We do love running with me. What is it? We're going to run the Bristol 10K. We're going to raise some money. And uh, we're going to just do it in community. And it's going to be fun. And we're going to go on a bit of adventure together. And all kinds of unlikely people are going to be doing this. Sure, yeah, I'll do that. And the end of love running, without even telling me, signed up for Alpha. I was so mad. Like you could have, I've asked you all these times. And when you finally decide to do it, you don't even tell me about it. But it was a wonderful thing. So we'll tell you more about that. We're doing it with some other churches. Uh, our friends in St. Nick's said, hey, we'll do it with you. And so uh, Toby, the vicar, we're going to be running together. I, I said, Toby, it's not a competition, but I will crush you. So uh, we, you know, Metro versus Nick's. We've got to show them who's boss. And then finally, Alpha. We talked about Alpha, but Alpha is one of the most effective ways in which we can cooperate with the seeker, the seeker of souls. Jesus who goes out looking for people. Why? So that he can restore to them their identity, who they were created to be. Pure men, pure women, pure children of God. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Will we, as a community of faith, be people that gather around what Jesus is wanting to do in our time? Because I believe that there are more people climbing trees to look for Jesus than we realize. There are people that you know who are not in church and not in faith, but they're closer to Jesus than you can possibly realize. And God could use you as the link in the chain to help them come to faith. We live in a world that promised so much, a liberal progressive utopia where the world would get more and more prosperous and peaceful and everyone would drink Starbucks and wear Zara and we would all gather around kind of the same values. We were presented with that dream. We were given that hope. Everything's going to get better and the world's going to get technologically advanced. We're going to have all these things. And what did we get? Candy crush and anxiety. We got wars happening in Europe where they said there'd be no more wars. We got the world splintering off into different blocks like we're back in the 50s. We've got anxiety and depression and mental health going to epidemic proportions. We've got people who can't afford the things that their parents took for granted. The cost of living crisis. And then you add on top of that cake climate crisis, flooding, natural history events, all kinds of catastrophe. And you look into the future 
and we just see this fractured, polarizing, difficult time. And more and more people are climbing trees because Jesus offers an alternative. And I believe that we're going to see more and more people coming to look for Jesus. People that you engage with conversation who suddenly you find actually there's an interest there. And as we gather here and create the presence of God and create a place where Jesus can come, more and more people come in and say, tell me about this Jesus. I don't know very much, but I want to change. I feel that there's more to my life. And this time of uncertainty, this time of anger and confusion and anxiety and all kinds of angst around what's happening to our world, it's a time when Jesus can come and find people. And we want to cooperate. We want to collaborate with Jesus. So I'd like us to pray right now. I'd like us to pray. And I'd like us to think about people that you know. And actually, it might be you. It might be you watching online. It might be you here in the room where you feel like there's distance between me and Jesus. You just need to know it's not a coincidence that you're here. It's not by chance that you've wandered in or that you're listening to this. Because the seeker of souls came specifically to find you. You're his biggest priority. You're the thing, the person that he cares about more than anything else. Stops all his plans to go and meet with you and eat with you, endorse you. Whether it's shocking, I don't care. Whether it puts people's noses out of joint, Jesus says, I don't care. I'm here because this person is a son of Abraham. This person is a person of faith. This person is Zacchaeus. This person is a pure one. And I want to redeem that. I want to bring them back to who they were always meant to be. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. Always creating space so that Jesus can do his work of reaching people. So we're going to pray right now. But what I would like to invite you to do is just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think and imagine in your mind the faces of one or two people that you know who are far from Jesus. But you just have an inkling that actually Jesus is looking for them and seeking after them. Maybe it's someone that you can invite to Alpha. Maybe it's someone that you can engage in conversation. Or maybe it's someone that you're just praying for and they don't know anything about it. But at the start of 2024, we're going to say we will be the people who help seek and save those who are lost. We will go running after people. We will cooperate and collaborate with the Holy Spirit, who's a missionary spirit, always trying to win people back, change their lives so that they are who they were supposed to be. And just as you have that person's face in your mind, I want you to just say a little prayer for them and maybe commit yourself. Lord Jesus, I will do whatever I can to help you reach this person. Let's just take a moment of silence just to be quiet and, and pray that prayer. Or pray it for yourself if that's what you need to do.